1: You're about to get smarter in just a few minutes with Curiosity Daily from Discovery. Time flies when you're learning super cool stuff. I'm Nate.
0: And I'm Callie. If you're dropping in for the first time, welcome to Curiosity, where we aim to blow your mind by helping you to grow your mind. If you're a loyal listener, welcome back.
1: Today, you'll learn about how when we eat might influence our risk for type 2 diabetes, a new use for nanotech in treating age related blindness, and how crocodiles respond to the cries of human babies.
0: Without further ado, Let's satisfy some curiosity. Type 2 diabetes is a massive global problem with nearly half a billion people worldwide suffering from it and almost 40 million people in the United States alone dealing with this potentially life-threatening condition.
1: Half a billion people around the world. That's a way worse problem than I thought.
0: It's a very serious public health concern and can lead to other problems like heart disease, nerve damage, eye problems, and even kidney disease.
1: Okay, so what exactly causes type 2 diabetes? I I know it has something to do with diet, right?
0: There are a lot of factors, including genetics. And while not everyone with type 2 diabetes is overweight, doctors know that obesity, a poor diet, and physical inactivity can increase our risk for it. And a new study has found yet another possible risk factor. Breakfast. Wait, breakfast? Well, specifically when we eat breakfast.
1: Okay, you mean like what time we eat breakfast?
0: Yeah. A huge study of over 100,000 people in France looked at the timing of eating and its relationship to type 2 diabetes.
1: Mm, That is a massive study.
0: Oh, it really is. That's one thing that makes it so compelling.
1: Okay, so uh, when should we be eating breakfast?
0: Well, researchers found that those who ate breakfast after 9 a.m. had a 59% higher risk of developing type 2 diabetes than those who ate before 8 a.m.
1: Holy cow, that's a huge increase in risk. So what's going on here? Why would the timing be so important?
0: So, the mechanisms aren't entirely clear, but they do know that skipping breakfast affects how our bodies are able to control lipids and handle glucose, both of which are involved in diabetes. But the big picture here has everything to do with what researchers call chrononutrition, which is basically the connection between diet and our own circadian rhythms.
1: Right. Okay. I, I, I guess we know already that time affects our sleeping patterns. So, why wouldn't it also affect our nutrition?
0: Exactly! In fact, this same research team found in an earlier study that there was a connection between eating an earlier dinner and having a lower risk of breast or prostate cancer. And it turns out that an early dinner is also associated with a lower risk of type 2 diabetes.
1: So we should be eating breakfast before 8 a.m. When should we be eating dinner?
0: The study suggests dinner should come before 7 p.m., but they say the real risk comes from eating dinner after 10 p.m.
1: Okay, I'd say that's good news. Eating before 10, I think, is something most people can get with. Eating before 7, for some people, seems like it might be too early.
0: Yeah, I mean, it could be. They also found that your risk gets even lower if you eat around five small meals a day.
1: Okay, so eat early and often, I guess.
0: Yeah, something like that. It's important to note that this study found connections, not causation.
1: Okay, so in other words, eating late doesn't necessarily cause type 2 diabetes.
0: Right, no, it it just increases the risk. But that said, studies like this on chrononutrition can at least give researchers and doctors new tools to keep us healthy. Turns out it's not just what we eat, but also when. So maybe next time you want to go to brunch— think again.
1: A research team at Anglia Ruskin University in the UK have figured out a way to grow human retinal cells using 3D nanotechnology.
0: That sounds amazing, but say more words.
1: <laughs> yeah, right. I'll, I'll admit, when I first saw it, I was just like, mm, okay. Uh, and, <laughs> and while it actually it's, a, it's actually a crazy high-tech story, it is easier to understand than you might think, and the ramifications could be massive for millions of people suffering from age-related macular degeneration, or AMD. So let's start there.
0: Okay, I know macular degeneration has something to do with vision loss, right?
1: Right. By some estimates, nearly 20 million Americans have some form of AMD, and as many as 11 million have advanced AMD. And that can spell big-time visual impairment and even irreversible blindness.
0: I didn't realize it was such a huge problem.
1: It is, and it's most common in people over 50 and gets progressively worse as we age. Basically, what's happening is these cells called RPE cells in the macula of the eye break down. The macula is the part of the eye that lets us see sharply straight ahead. So when those cells break down, it can get kind of blurry or hard to see right in front of
0: us. Okay. Um, I'm just going to be the one to say it here, but right in front of us is kind of the most important place to be able to see, right?
1: Uh, Yeah, you could definitely make a strong case for that.
0: All right. So why do these RPE cells break down?
1: Good question. The actual mechanisms aren't totally understood, but there are basically two types of macular degeneration, dry and wet. Dry is the most common, and it happens with age. The RPE cells just, well, they just break down over time. Wet AMD is less common, but tends to be more severe. It happens when abnormal blood vessels pop under the macula and leak fluid and blood.
0: Yeah, that just doesn't sound like a good thing.
1: Uh, you think? Yeah, definitely not.
0: Okay, so I think I understand the basics of age-related macular degeneration. Where do these nano-things come into play?
1: Yes, the 3D nanotechnology. This is the cool part. So researchers have been trying to figure out how to grow retinal cells in the lab. If you can do that, then you could probably implant them in the eyes of folks with AMD to treat vision loss. But the thing is, most cells grown in the lab are grown in something like a dish, right? Like on a flat surface. In the real world of the
0: eye... It's not flat. It has three dimensions.
1: Bingo. So they used a process called electrospinning.
0: Okay, that sounds like what my friends do in the club on a Saturday night.
1: (laughs) Are they scientists?
0: (laughs) Yeah, you could say that.
1: All right. Well, in the lab, yeah. electrospinning is a crazy process where, go with me here on this, a polymer fluid is pulled through an electric field. As it's pulled through, it breaks down into teensy tiny microscopic fibers that scientists are able to use as a 3D nanofibrous scaffold.
0: So, okay, so it's like a microscopic trellis for vines.
1: Yeah, totally. And instead of vines, they were able to use it to grow retinal cells.
0: That is super cool.
1: It's pretty exciting. The cells remain viable for 150 days. In other words, it just, it worked. If they can figure out an effective way to transplant these cells into the human eye, they think they might be on the verge of finally treating age-related macular degeneration, and millions of people will be able to see clearly once again. (laughs)
0: And at last the fog is lifted.
1: Wait, copy trademarks? I don't know. That's the (laughs) whole... At any rate, when they figure out how to transplant them, you'll hear about it right here. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank.
0: Scientists, in one of the strangest studies I've ever heard of, played the sounds of babies crying for a bunch of Nile crocodiles and found that the crocs could actually detect distress in their cries.
1: Ah, so even crocs feel something when little babies cry. How sweet.
0: Yeah, except that something they feel is probably excitement for a little snack.
1: Oh, okay. Okay. Boy, uh, so wait, why would scientists (laughs) play baby cries for crocodiles?
0: I was hoping you'd ask. The researchers were interested in how animals have evolved to respond to the sounds they and other animals make. The basic question was, would an animal like a crocodile be able to interpret or react to the sounds of other creatures? And because babies make especially unique sounds that elicit such powerful emotions in their human mothers, well, it was a good place to start.
1: Okay, so I'm— yeah, that makes sense. But how could they tell that the crocs could actually identify the sounds?
0: So, let's let's talk about the study a little bit. They actually recorded the cries of human babies, cute little chimpanzee chunksters, and bonobo tots, all primates whose infants make pretty unique baby noises. They recorded each in different states of unfortunately agitation, <laughs>
1: How would you like to be the sound guy on that job?
0: (laughs) Right? Some of the recordings were when the babies were crying out for mom. Some were when they were fighting with other babies.
1: Gonna guess the fighting sounds were from the chimps and the bonobos?
0: (laughs) Yeah. The human babies were recorded during different kinds of situations, like during bath time and when they were getting shots at the doctor.
1: Okay, so poor squishy baby crying when she gets a little shot. A little heart melting. (laughs)
0: Right? Crocodiles felt the same, honestly, except more like mouth-watering. Anyway, the researchers analyzed all the different cries, screams, gurgles, and goo-goos, and isolated about 18 different variables.
1: Uh, Like what? Pitch, I assume?
0: Right. And things like harmonic sounds, or how many syllables were in a sound, or the level of chaos in the scream. So once the recording and analysis was over, that's when the fun began. They set up speakers at a place called Croco Park in Morocco, a facility with a bunch of croc-filled ponds and hit play.
1: Like how many crocs are we talking?
0: 300, maybe more.
1: A speaker-filled croc party. It's like an outdoor music festival for crocodiles. (gasps) Wood croc. (laughs)
0: Okay, I actually like that. But anyways, so it turns out crocodiles have very good hearing. So they responded to the cries almost immediately. Some of them swam up to the speakers to investigate, floating on the surface of the water. Others approached below the surface as if stalking prey. Some of them even tried to bite the speaker.
1: Seems like a pretty big variety of behaviors, right?
0: It actually is. One of the lead researchers, Julie Tevenet from Claude Bernard University Lyon in France, thinks that it's possible that the sounds of babies in distress triggered a variety of reactions. Obviously, some of them immediately figured an easy snack was just around the corner.
1: Mm. Helpless baby. Yum.
0: Yeah. But she thinks that in some, a maternal instinct might have been stirred up. Obviously, they can't know for sure, but they do think that, in any case, the crocodiles are able to discern whether or not these babies are in distress, and that could have come from listening to our cries for thousands and thousands of years.
1: I guess that makes sense. I've read studies that show that dogs can sense human emotions from the sounds of our voice, right?
0: Exactly. But think about this. Dogs and humans have really grown up together. We co-evolved. Not exactly the same with crocs. And that's what makes this study so fascinating. No matter how different we are, there's a lot of evidence that some things are more universal than we might have thought.
1: A Baby's cry is a pretty important thing, even to crocodiles.
0: I guess the final lesson here is don't give your babies shots near a crocodile pond.
1: All of my weekend plans gone. (laughs) Let's recap what we learned today to wrap up.
0: A new study is showing a connection between eating breakfast past 9am and an increased risk for type 2 diabetes. The research takes a closer look at chrononutrition, or how our natural rhythms influence our diets and health, and could give those with risk factors new tools for keeping healthy.
1: Researchers have used nanotechnology to build a tiny scaffolding on which they grew human retinal cells. If they can figure out how to transplant those cells into human eyes, they could be on the cusp of treating age-related macular degeneration, a vision problem that affects up to 20 million Americans and can lead to irreversible blindness.
0: Scientists put speakers in a facility that was home to some 300 Nile crocodiles and played the sounds of chimp, human, and bonobo babies crying. The crocs immediately reacted. Some of them were maternal, while others heard the sounds of a potential snack. The study suggests that some sounds are relatively universal, even across vastly different species. A baby's cry is one of them.
1: Curiosity Daily is produced by Wheelhouse DNA for Discovery.
0: You can follow our show wherever you get your podcasts and we would love it if you could take a second to leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince.